everybody. Welcome to episode 58 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. Hi. <laughs> That's my co-host, Stephen Lewis. How you doing, man? Good. How are you, sir? Doing well. Uh, I'm your also, I guess, another co-host, Jonathan Lee. <clears throat> and we this is the podcast where we talk about all things mountain biking. It's presented by Worldwide Cyclery. It is. Uh, best darn place to get your bike parts. They're nice people. Yes. Also, fantastic place to get insight into what you should do or need to do. In other words, they absolutely know what they talk, they're talking about. They're all riders. Uh, it's a pretty awesome group of folks. I hear they have an internal power struggle going on right now. Oh, really? Who's going to win Downeyville? Oh, on which bike? Yes. I old. believe they're looking at Zach or Liam, right? Exactly. It's it's either old Yeti or new Yeti. Yes. So old ASR, mm-hmm. new SB100. Yeah. I think that the, I don't know about Zach here. Did we ride with Zach? Uh, I don't think so, no. So I don't know about Zach, but Liam, the guy riding the old ASR, mm-hmm. Woods and stuff on Instagram, that dude shreds. He does. And he's also been like putting in the fitness miles right now. Mm-hmm. So I expect him to do very well. It's Downeyville weekend. So, you know, that they're up there and that's where this whole thing's going down. And I was supposed to be up there getting beat by both of them. But now you're going on a trip. I'm actually going to go to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho for the weekend. There I've never go. been there. Yeah. It's a beautiful place I hear. Yeah. So I'm taking the scalpel up and we're going to ride some bikes and then we're going to drive back and uh, hit Bend for one day. Oh, sweet. It's going to be nice. Nice. Yeah. Probably going to do tiddlywinks and Bend. Okay. Instead I've of Phil's trails. Yeah. I've done Phil's trails a lot, but Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that could be good. Well, cool. Uh, so, anyways, this is where we we talk about all things mountain biking. And if you do need mountain bike parts, you can get them from Worldwide Cycler. You just go to mtbpodcast.com and go to the store. Click on that little banner. And then uh, that gives a little bit back to the podcast. So then we can continue making these things for all y'all. Uh, this week's episode is just going to be questions. It's all about the questions. Yeah. Because we're slackers, we're getting back on track. We're oh, good to go. Yeah, there's so many questions we have not gotten to yet. I haven't so. even looked at the questions document that we have you're I'm not fl- you're no, flying I'm not, blind I'm not doing it yeah I'm, you're flying blind well I'm also I haven't looked at the document that says you know mm. these are all of the questions we have so I don't know how many we're all know, right we're waiting on so people just know Steven's flying into this blind uh we'll, we'll get to test the man's knowledge randomly answered questions indeed yeah hopefully uh hopefully Steve Steve's got it under under him so okay uh with that let's go into the questions questions time question it's a ridiculous question False. Now that's debatable. Okay. Uh, first one actually comes from a guy named Jonathan Lee, and he's got a question for Stephen Lewis. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so you... Is it you? Uh, yes, it's okay. me. Okay. Yes. And you're Stephen Lewis, believe I, it or not. I am. Yeah, okay, yeah. So uh, you're selling your bikes right now. Selling all of the bikes. A uh, Super X in a size 56. Yes. Uh, you are selling a Jekyll in a size large. No, no I already, already sold, sold the Jekyll. It is on its way to Hood River, Oregon. A scalpel in size large. And yes, yeah. Um, so you're selling all of these bikes. You're getting new bikes. I am. Can you tell me what you're going to replace the Jekyll with since that one's already sold? Yes. So the Jekyll, uh, next week, I should have the Jekyll 29 level one on its way. So we decided to go to Kashima. Nice. Um, mostly because if I didn't do the Jekyll one, mm-hmm. the two only comes with a fit four damper, whereas the one came with the grip two damper mm, Okay. in the fork. Yep. And then the dropper post goes from a, a transfer down to a, a, a built-in, I don't, it's, I think it's a KS Lev SI, but okay. it's rebranded as a Cannondale brand. I gotcha. could be totally wrong because I haven't seen one in person, but okay. it's a more, it's a house brand dropper. Okay. Um, the thing is on the Jekyll 29 is they did some things on it 
to make it hit very, very nice price points that, you know, are, are mm-hmm. very consumer conscious. So immediately I have to change cranks on it. Immediately I have to, you know, there's a few things that I have to change, but it comes with uh, SRAM S900 hubs. It comes with uh, Flow Mark III rims nice. instead of WTBs this year. So I get to try okay. out the stands rims. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but essentially what it boils down to is the spec on everything else was just where I wanted it it to be and yeah. you and I are going to probably well after we record we're going to discuss yes. what sort of custom paint things we I can I have a surprise for you. Oh, do you? I can't say it on air. Okay. But um but I think that Kashima is almost always wrong. However, in this case I think that you'll want to keep the Kashima because things may be happening. Okay. So. Cuz I have ideas too. Okay, so good. but I'm glad that you have ideas yeah, yeah. because we can discuss this. It's going to be a pretty bike. It will be. Uh, and we'll go into actually at some point we're going to go into the process and kind of detail the process that we've done, which is very much a warranty voiding process, we should be clear. Um, but of of sanding a frame down and then going through the whole process of custom paint and all that stuff. So ah. Um, But we're going to not only cover that, but the different things that you want to use on your bike. Like where would you want to use specific chemicals? Where would you want to use specific cleaners? Which ones do you want to avoid? Exactly. So we'll go into that in a future episode. Um, I'm excited for that. And then the scalpel is going to be replaced with, I guess, just uh, the same. I don't know if the frame is going to change, but I think they're going to put the lefty ocho. Frame does not change, but it will have the lefty ocho. Um, I think I'm going with the the team model as well, the new, the high mod team model, which is going to be... Um, not as pretty as of, of a bike as the cement gray and acid green. It's a little bit different, um, but it's going to have NV525s on it. It's going to have the lefty Ocho, and it's going to be a full XX1, just like it's identical to what it is now, just updated wheels and a and, um, and a, the lefty Ocho fork. Nice. And then your Super X, where are you going to replace that with? I'm actually replacing it with the new 2019 Super X, but instead of going with the team model and building it up, I'm actually just going to go with the Force One. Um, SE build, which yeah. is essentially what I do to my Super X's anyway. Smart. And last year it had this really cool pearl tangerine, like creamsicle oh, orange. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. This year the the Force One SE is called Lava, and it is a pearl red. Ooh. And it's going to be, I think, a beautiful bike. Yeah. Um, so it's going to. Cool. That's what I'm going to be replacing it with. Nice. Yeah. That's the bike stuff. Then it is. Cool. Well, uh, with that, we're going to get into this first one, which is actually, uh, so this is, this is long overdue. We should have covered this before, but, uh, man, we, we, we have not been on top of things with, uh, with the podcast. We're trying, we're getting there. This is weekly now. We're getting yeah. back to it for a bit. Uh, but this one actually comes from Mike McCormick. So oh. some of you may recognize that name. Breck Epic, Mike he, McCormick. Yeah. A few episodes ago, we actually talked about uh, Breck Epic, uh, we, well, we really talked about how larger companies moving into the mountain bike space, Ironman being one of them, um, and there are rumors about, uh, nothing confirmed, but rumors about that Breck Epic could be on the buy list from somebody like Iron Man. Yeah. There are larger rumors from what we understand, or from what I understand, there are larger rumors uh, or chances, possibilities perhaps, that we could see... Uh, Iron Man coming in and actually kind of building up a whole brand of it of of stage races, mountain bike stage races around the country. Yeah, and if so, Breck Epic would really make sense. Uh, there are a lot of there's like a huge negative reaction to this. Uh, everyone's like, you know, ah, like go against it, and it especially seems a bit ironic just because of kind of what uh, Breck Epic also seems to be known for. Um, but Mike kind of talks about that. But anyways, he says. 
Um, just caught the latest podcast where you discuss Iron Man's potential purchase of the Breck Epic. For the most part, I enjoyed it, and it was and I was surprised at the insight and objectivity you brought in terms of what Iron Man could bring to the event, as well as a few qualitative lessons that they might learn. So he says uh, they sort of did, or the sort of dig that what you perceive as our marketing, he says in quotes, came as a surprise. So I'll have to go back in and reevaluate how we're being perceived. You'd be very surprised to learn how little thought goes into that. Yeah, and I actually could totally see that. I don't, you know, I feel like it's very much like, uh, I feel like it's natural. I could be wrong though, Mike, let me know. But I feel like it's natural. Uh, but sometimes, so I'm going to actually use you as an example on this. Okay. You're very detail-oriented, right? Mm-hmm. Um, very detail oriented. In fact, to the to the point that like when you're having a conversation, like you meet a guy and then you talk about his truck or his bike, like you are deep in those weeds. You're talking about the carbon layup. You're talking about the like the exact different things that are going on in his truck and all the different stuff that's built into that specific one. You yeah. know, okay. you're very detail oriented. Yeah, I bet somebody could come into that and think that like, oh, this guy like wants to you know put on a show that he you know knows these things and everything else, but that's really not the case. You're just a very detail-oriented person. Yeah. So somebody from the outside in could assume that it isn't genuine because it's a very strong or it's a very unique or it's a very pronounced characteristic. However, that's just, it's natural, yeah. right? And I could see that with with, uh, with Breck Epic too. Anyways. Um, it's my personality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He says, to hear it described as marketing made me rewind the podcast to make sure that I heard you correctly. Mostly, we're just trying to help the Weekend Warrior clan make a wise choice in terms of race selection because too many stragglers on course really create an unsafe atmosphere and stretch our operations and medical teams too thinly. Yeah, totally get that. Yep. He says, of course, like Colin McRae, I'm a middle-aged pinko commie marching around with my fist in the air, rally or railing against people with sticks up their butts. So I can see also where you're coming from. But as a point of information, it's not natural. We're really that juvenile. Awesome. Good to know. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's actually says, good. And I do swear when I get excited, which apparently comes across on the website. There goes our PG rating. It says the race itself isn't that hard. I think that we're on record about a gajillion times making that exact statement. Barring two longish hike bikes, the elevation we start at 10,000 and go up from there, and maybe one and a half bony descents, it's pretty approachable. What it is, however, is a real is real backcountry mountain biking. The triathletes, if we sell and if they come, will probably be in over their heads a bit at first, but they'll sort it out. And yeah, I agree. I think that, um, the thing about Breck Epic that when I say it's hard, it's not like it's single track six hard like that, that mountain bike race is like crazy technical, right? Mm -hmm. Super fun though. This is just hard because you're repeating a lot of riding at 10,000 feet at 10,000 plus feet <laughs> for days on end. Yeah. 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 It's pretty amazing. So that's, that's the hard part. Uh, he says, thanks once again for your take. And believe me, the subjects you touched upon have been discussed at great length on our end. Whether we sell or not remains to be seen. We don't build it to sell. We build it as a love letter to Summit County's amazing trail network. The fact that anyone wanted to buy it came as an enormous shock. As it stands, it's a very good mountain bike event and an, on an exceptional uh, on-course experience. It says, while we may flip off the UCI once in a while, we treat our customers as we, are, as we ourselves would hope to be treated. That involves plenty of listening and a fair bit of self-examination from time to time, including right now after listening to this episode. So he says, thanks once again, truly did enjoy hearing your perspective. Thank you, Mike, for reaching out. Uh, we appreciate it. If you're listening right now, uh, yeah, thanks for putting on the event. You've got busy days ahead of you because you're about to kick it off, I yes, think, in two days. I've got friends driving out right now. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think that's pretty cool to hear from the organizer of an event like that to uh, get their perspective. Um, at some point, Mike, it'd be, it'd be great to sit down and interview you. Uh, so shoot me another email and, and we'll, we'll set things up. Yes. Uh, okay, next one. It's from Pat. 
He says, hi, Stephen and Jonathan, love the podcast. I heard you guys talk about the Kua Envy and Sherpa bike racks throughout your episodes and have been considering looking into them. I think the Sherpa is all I need at the moment, but I'm wondering what ranges of bikes it can fit comfortably. The Kua site lists at 47 inch at a 47 inch wheelbase as the upper range, but I'm looking to put a larger bike like a Santa Cruz high tower into the rack. Should I look more at the NV 2.0 or will the Sherpa accommodate larger bikes just fine? You're plenty fine on a Sherpa. I've mm -hmm. put SB sixes. I've put, you know, I've put longer bikes on there. My I've, brother has an XL SB five, five. Yeah. And it's, and it's fine. Yeah. You're per it, honestly, it hangs. It's, you know, don't get me wrong. It's not like you've got a massive platform left on the back. It's not like there's a diving board sticking out behind the wheel or something. Yeah. But no, that's good. But my Jekyll fits on there. That's a really long bike. And even on my, on my NV 2.0 mm -hmm. with the rear wheel, um, strap, all the way back on the tray, yeah. it still has to stretch a little bit to fit That's how it goes. on the Jekyll. So yeah, so it's, the Sherpa's fine. One thing yeah. my brother did, which you can follow him, L Dusto, uh, you can follow it, just look up L or underscore Dusto, I think underscore 10 on yeah. Instagram. Um, but uh, he, I believe 3D printed a block that would basically go in place that moves the front end slightly further forward on his 5.5. Gotcha. And just to give him a little bit of insurance. And it doesn't, uh, it still retains the wheel just as the original block does. Gotcha. So kind of a clever deal. Nice. He's, he's, he's an engine nerd. That's how things work. Yeah. We're supposed to have gifts from him. Oh, I know. That's Justin, right. Justin, where are our gifts? Yeah. I wonder if he can ship munitions though. He's, <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, let's calm down. Okay. Yeah. Let's, they're not live rounds. <laughs> yeah. They're not live rounds. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he's, he, he works in the, in the aerospace industry. So pretty interesting stuff. He's um, sending us solid state rockets. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess kind of, yeah, yeah. UPS yeah. can't ship a Triton missile. Yeah. I think. <laughs> so uh, this one comes from Adam. Uh, he says, are you guys familiar with the Facebook page? Look at my bike leaning against stuff. I feel like you guys would have some really awesome, and he says in quotes, leans to post with all the awesome riding you guys do. Uh, I guess, yeah. Adam, look at yesterday's posts. There I posted a picture of the Jekyll at Downeyville. Yeah. I do a lot of posting on look at my bike leaning on stuff. And shout out to Pete Lewis. Um, he is the the starter. Or I guess he started and he's the administrator on that page. Um, he's a jerk. Um, I'm kidding. He's actually a really nice guy. Um, but he's a, a friend of mine. And uh, Oh, cool. Nice. So yeah, so you'll see us bantering back and forth. I've never contributed. I should. Yeah. He says, how's Jonathan's knee? Uh, it's doing better. Uh, it's hard to tell because I'm not really riding. And then it's also hard to tell because I stacked harder than I may have ever stacked. <laughs> I don't know if you really stacked. I mean, you scorpioned hard. Hard yeah. last weekend. Yeah. I told you I heard the rock grunt under you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm small. Yeah. <laughs> That's 145 pounds of fury there going yeah. into that rock. But we were at North Star at Sticks and Stones, and I went through a line where somebody moved the rocks over on this line, and my wheel fell into a giant hole. And then you fell into a giant and then hole. I went face first and folded in half face first into gigantic, sharp, nasty rock. Yeah. Like I had to pick his bike up off of him. Yes. He couldn't move. I was in a pretzel and the bike was on top and I was very pained. It was so. good. <laughs> I mean, so, in a bad way, but it was good. So yeah, I mean, I, I smashed my knee really hard in that one, but yeah. it didn't like twist anything, right? Yeah. It just smashed into the rocks really hard. Yeah. Um, but the knees, the knee, as far as the previous problems, I feel like it's getting better, but it's genuinely hard to tell, right? Because I'm not riding. I'm just doing lift service laps, yeah. you know, at North Star. So, but lots of PT, so getting better. How's your knee doing, Steven? My knee's yes. good. It's actually, um, I have no knee pain whatsoever. Um, nice. I've noticed I have had some weird um, hip angle things that are causing my right knee 
to uh. have a little bit of pain. So I've been working on that with a, um, don't chastise me, but a Pilates instructor. Actually, it's really good. Pilates um, is awesome. Yeah. So it's, I'm learning a lot more, um, very specific, you know, activate this muscle specifically to do this and rotate your hip this way to get your knee into alignment here. And, yeah. Super good. to um, do. Yeah. So I've been doing that and it's been really helpful, um, to correct nice. any of the, I guess if I've been uh, load bearing differently side to side because of my left knee and the surgery, but no, everything's, everything's been perfect. I mean, it's been, um, I did the, you know, the Carson Epic, I did, you know, the Segondo, I, uh, other than going out of town this weekend, I was supposed to do the Downeyville all mountain and my knee's perfect. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he asks, is there a deep dive on less than satisfactory knees coming up in the future? (laughs) And no, because we are not doctors. Um, and honestly, uh, knee injuries are so individual. I mean, injuries period are extremely individual, but Absolutely. especially when you're talking about cycling and knee stuff, oh, it gets, yeah. gets tricky. So, uh, this next one's from Crawford. He says, howdy gentlemen, I'm planning my bike travels for the rest of the year. And notice you two, uh, have hinted about a possible upcoming trip or two. Since I'm trying to plan ahead, could you share a few details either privately or over the podcast? Thanks for all you do and hope to see you soon. Uh, yeah, I say that we share those details now. Okay. Um, so, uh, Stephen and I are going to Whistler, BC, and we are going to go to a Yeti tribe gathering there. The Canadian tribe gathering. Yes. Lots uh, of maple syrup and apologies. Yeah. It's going to be in Squamish, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, so in Squamish, and it's actually being organized by Arbutus Routes, which is, um, so they do, sure, they're, they're hosting, they're kind enough to host this for us, but they provide massive routes and guidance and shuttling and everything else all over the whole region there, the Sea to Sky region in that spot. Dang. It's pretty awesome. Hmm. So, uh, this is going to be September 21st to 23rd. Uh, we're going to be getting up there the 20th and then on the 24th, you and I are going to be in Whistler bike park or 23rd and we're basically, we're cutting it close. Whistler bike park closes pretty soon after that. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be getting in some final laps of the year, so to speak. Are we just going to rent downhill bikes and go, mm, or are no. you going to ride the five, five? I'm going to ride the five, five. Yeah. So now as, as I understand it, since it's a tribe gathering, I can't ride my cannon. Yes. So yes. at the tribe <laughs> gathering, I'm riding your five, five and you're riding my 100 the SB 100, correct? Yes. And then when we go to the bike park, you ride your five, five, I rent a downhill bike. Yeah. That's the plan. You're going to get just annihilated, buddy. <laughs> on my 100, you're oh, saying? No, on your uh, five, five. In the bike park? In the bike park. Oh no, no, I'm good. I wrote it on an ASR. <laughs> oh, I know, but I'm going to smash you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just true. saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no, it'll be great. So, and like, uh, we've mentioned, or actually there's a YouTuber named Paul, the punter. Mm-hmm. He's awesome. A uh, really cool dude. He's actually been putting up videos on all the blue and green trails on North Star or on, on Whistler, which I think is awesome because kind of cool. How many runs down dirt merchant and a line do you see on YouTube? You see plenty of them, all of them, right? Yeah. So it's good to see a little bit different. And I knew when I, when I know when I first went to Whistler, I was like, is there anything not gnarly here? Cause all I had seen was the gnarly stuff on yeah. TV, you know? Yep. So, um, you can check that out. There are plenty of different things you can ride. Uh, heck you could ride a fully rigid bike on some of the stuff at Whistler and you'd, you know, you might lose a filling or two, just like you lose it on any trail, but who was it that rode the cross bike down a line? Was that Yohan Borelli? I think so. Yeah. 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 You can have skills like that and ride anything. Anyway. Okay. So so we're doing that. We're doing that. Uh, that's coming up on September, uh, 21st to 23rd. If you are in that region and you want to ride with us, please come to that tribe gathering. That'd be a ton of fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can rent a Yeti if you don't have one and join us that way. Uh, if you don't want to come to the tribe gathering, you can come to Whistler with us the next day thereafter. Uh, that would be a lot 
of fun. Um, and that's actually, we were planning something else, but that's actually the only one that we're going to have this year. Okay. Um, the previous idea, Stephen, that we should not leak quite yet, uh, we're delaying that until we can get into possibly like kind of late spring so then we can give enough time. I know what this was. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, oh no, you didn't actually end up telling me. That's right. So I don't even know what this oh, was. Oh man, okay. Well, there we go. Yeah. You know? So anyways, that's what we're thinking about. Uh, so September 21st through 24th in Whistler and Squamish region. Come join us. It's going to be a ton of fun. Yes. It's going to be fun. Okay. Uh, this one's from Marco. It says, hey, guys. I'm a listener from Italy and really can't say enough good things about your podcast. The level I, of- I hear we're huge in Italy. <laughs> we're huge in Italy? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll have confirmation that we're huge in Sweden in just a bit. Wow. Um, he says, the level of professionality you put into the pro- production of the show and the depth in your knowledge of bikes and industry is astonishing. We're just blushing over here. He says, it's kind of like a great college class in my favorite subject to me, although I'm way past those years. <laughs> awesome. He says, please keep it up uh, because you are the point of reference for mountain bike podcasts and worldwide mountain bike community as far as I'm concerned. Wow. Nice. Triple blushing Dang. now. Yikes. Okay. So he says, I have a few assorted questions in random order. Number one, what is the perfect, and he says, I, you know, perfect in quotes, internal rim width for 30 or 2.6 inch tires? 30 to 35 millimeters. Yep. I was just going to say that. That's what I would say. Okay. Let's rapid fire in the next one. After a professional mountain bike fit, is it risky to tinker with the settings? Can they change as time goes by in terms of how or she progresses on the bike or how their flexibility improves? Uh, they can move slightly. Mm -hmm. Um, you definitely want to make sure that you write down all of your measurements and know exactly where everything was after the professional fit Mm -hmm. so that when you start making changes, you can actually, you know, take a point of reference back to your original. Mm -hmm. And I try, and I try to stress this every time is only make small changes and one at a time. Yes. Do not change multiple things. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. And one change will affect other things. Exactly. Uh, I would find it rare or strange if, you know, you got your bike fit or I would find it, I would assume that it's a bad fit if you got your bike fit and then you just went, you know, you started tinkering instantly. Yeah. Uh, that wouldn't be a, I would call like a really, really good fit. But yes, this very much happens though, where you progress over time, you change in flexibility, you change in mobility, you change in strength, you change in any, a lot of things, your body changes. Uh, so when that happens, yeah, you should make middle, little adjustments. But as you said, always write it down. Yeah. You know, the way I have a cabinet in our garage when I keep like my helmet and shoes and other odds and ends in there. Yeah. And inside that cabinet door, I actually drew a spreadsheet of shorts of the of sorts of the Sharpie. And I keep like a bunch of data written down there. Interesting. So it's just an easy spot to do it. You cool. can do it on your phone. You can do it anywhere, but yeah. that's an easy spot to do it. Nice. Uh, number three, he says, should a rear shock ever make a swoosh sound as it compresses? Is that a sign that something is wrong? And he mentions, I have a 2018 Fox DPX two on a 2017 Bronson. It could be a sign that something's wrong, but usually that just means that the, the oil within your damping circuit is, is, swooshing through the valving circuits. Mm -hmm. So swooshing being the technical term. Yeah. Being, yeah, very much. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Swooshing. Um, so, so it could just be that your, your compression is too firm Mm -hmm. and it's basically the, the oil's not getting through and, you know, fast enough, or it could be a sign of cavitation, which then yes, that's a problem. Yeah. Cavitation means there's air bubbles inside. Uh, my, my bikes, uh, swoosh within reason all the time. Yeah. Mine do too. It's not uncommon. Yeah. Um, you'll, I do notice what you said. It's interesting. I do notice it when I'm running too firm of compression though, like too much. Um, yeah. Yeah. So very interesting point. I didn't think about that with compression affecting it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. Uh, Shay says, 
Hi guys, five stars every darn time. You've already answered my question way back in episode 36, so I just wanted to tell a quick story. Yay, story time. I like stories. He says, after hearing you rave about the E13 TRS 11-speed 946 cassette, I decided to swap back to 11-speed from the bird on my Santa Cruz Hightower LT because I kept breaking derailers. Uh, I, I especially see the breaking derailleur thing with Eagle being more of a concern if you're on 27 and a half inch wheels. Yeah. 29 gives you a bit more clearance, but 27 and a half, you know, you lose an inch and a half. That's yeah. substantial when you're talking about derailleur clearance. So, and we're talking about vertical clearance. We're not talking about obviously, you know, lateral clearance. Yeah. So uh, he says, anyway, I bought a 946 cassette and XTR mech for the same price as an X01 derailleur and loved it immediately. However, after about a thousand kilometers, it would get slop between the two cassette halves. And for those that don't know, uh, Stephen, can you explain the cassette, how it kind of works? So essentially the, the way that the E13 cassette works is there's uh, – Three or four gears, I forget. Yeah, there's a, a grouping. A there's a grouping. There's a cluster of <laughs> gears on the top side that secure to the XD driver on your free hub. With a little lock ring. With a little lock ring. And then the last six or seven gears, basically, you slide them onto the free hub body and then they twist. Yeah, they like place. interlock. They, they interlock into place with little claws and the the inner ring onto the free hub body has this little Teflon plastic hat that mm -hmm. goes over and locks it into place. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've seen people not twist lock it on properly. Mm -hmm. They like get it almost there and start twist locking it on. And it kind of like messes up the, the metal. It mars the metal. Yeah. Yep. So you don't want to do that. You want to really make sure that you're, you know, be careful when you're twist locking it on yeah. to do it properly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and there's a little indication that shows you when it's fully in place. Mm -hmm. So you can use that for a, for a tip. Yeah. So uh, he says the shopper I bought it from replaced it under warranty, but it happened again after another a thousand odd kilometers. So uh, so the Australian importer replaced it again. Well, then the third time or the third one started doing the same thing, and I gave up. But not long after, a staffer from E13 themselves went beyond the call of duty, messaged me on Facebook personally. We worked out that I had a batch of very early cassettes, and there have been several updates since. E13 went over and above just to make sure I had an awesome experience with their product. Just wanted to say that this is a company that has truly amazing customer service and actively seeks feedback to make their products better. I'm so thankful for your uh, for steering you steering your listeners to companies like E13, as I believe it's genuinely beneficial to the mountain bike scene. And I'll happily pay good money knowing that the company has these kind of morals. Thanks again, Shay from Australia. Oh, and he also says Q shrimp on the Barbie jokes. So. Yeah, there we yeah. are. Austria. Mm. Um, so with that, I think that that explains why we talk about a lot of the brands that we talk about. There's yeah. more than just big players like MRP. Like there, that's another example of a, of a suspension company that is absolutely viable, better in many ways. In fact, I feel like my ribbon is just better across the board. I haven't written the brand new lyric, but it's awesome fork. I hear you know. weird feedback on the lyric. Just throwing that out there. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You've heard off and on stuff. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. But we can get into that later. Okay, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's why, right? These smaller no, companies. That's exactly why we do that. And and E13, you know, I've never had anything but amazing customer service from them. Yep. You know, I've never had anything but amazing customer service from Envy. Yeah. And that's why we talk about Envy. Well, other than they do have truly better wheels. Than they do. If you can afford them. Yeah. yeah. So They are um, extremely expensive, but darn. They are. Darn, they're good. Yeah. But so, Shay, we're, I, I, I'm excited to hear that they took care of you that way. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, you know, not being, you know, being sponsored by Worldwide Cyclery gives us all the rain in the world to be fully objective, right? Like, unless you're talking about another, you know, online retailer of bike stuff, then they're, they're absolutely all terrible. Jensen sucks. <laughs> Just, <laughs> uh, let's go to Rob. Uh, he says, Hey guys, love the podcast still. Are you considering putting the podcast up on Spotify? 
So uh, to give you an idea of what that, so in addition to the the monthly cost right now, or uh, like right now we, you, so hey, let's be a nerd. Let's, let's remove go. Our, okay, let's remove our time from it. Of course, we don't pay ourselves at all for this podcast. No, um, we do not. We don't pay that. So there's no time involved. Oh, there's a lot of time involved, but it's not compensated. Yeah. Uh, when you look at just like the monthly like bill to keep this podcast going, it's about 175 bucks, right? Yeah. So that's in just different hosting fees and everything else. Uh, luckily, Trainer Road is very kind and they let us borrow their studio so we don't have to build a studio. Yeah. Um, that's usually what it costs. Um, and it's a passion project for Steve and I. Yeah. And to put it up on Spotify, that would be about another 65 bucks a month after about probably like a 500 and something dollar investment coming up front. Which so is crazy. Yeah, yeah. But that said, I think that it's something we should do. So um, at some point we will. Uh, and, you know, that's why uh, we you can take that small chunk that you give us through when you get stuff through Worldwide Cyclery and we can put it toward putting it on Spotify. So because that's the only like music service I use is Spotify. Yeah. And I love it. So yeah. it's, yeah. it's awesome. So, yeah, uh, we should put it up on there. I've been delaying just because, you know, the, the cost side of things, but we should just allocate some of those funds. Yeah. So. Okay, uh, Nick says, I'm planning on taking part in the Mega Avalanche mass start downhill race in the Alps next year. Heaven bless you. Go see Good. somebody before and have them sprinkle water or something. So he says, I have an old 2014 nuke-proof Mega TR-275. It's got a 67-degree head tube angle, RockShox Revelation 150-millimeter fork, and a RockShox Monarch with 130 millimeters of rear travel. It's got a 1x11 36-tooth chainring and 1142 cassette and RockShox Revelation dropper post. I think he means reverb. Uh, yes, but that's okay. Got it. <clears throat> says, any suggestions on upgrades, tire choice, and also what spar spare parts I should take to cover a week of practice up on the hill? Thanks for a great show. This sort of thing, this race seems like you will be going like 45 miles an hour and then you'll just hit like a glacial razor rock. Yeah. Um, pretty gnarly stuff. Uh, what, what would you set? How would you, what would you do? I'd go to Home Depot and I'd buy a lot of inch and a half long screws and I would spike all of your tires. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Um, honestly, I don't know enough about yeah. Meg Avalanche as far as what to prepare for. I mean, I know a bunch of people that have done it and I've never asked. I've never, I, yeah. I don't know what to prepare for. Sm uh, snow? You could run enough cush core in there so that there's no more room for air. This is true. You just like, throw in like tractor five, foam, like four Huck Norrises and two Cush cores. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Basically, create create yourself a bib moose from the moto world, right? Is yeah. what they call them. Yep. Um, I would think, honestly, though, if you can look into something, I'm not sure if anything exists that's like a bib moose for mountain bikes. I don't think there is. But in this case, like, you'll really want to take up a lot of volume in those tires because you hit some stuff. Yeah. I've seen that much because uh, you'll be piling down the snow. And then if you're upright, fantastic, instead of sliding on your side, and then all of a sudden you'll get to a, a road or something like a dirt road and it's just glacial boulders and spots. So, yeah. you know, sharp. one of the things also that I would really consider that's not even actually bike specific oriented mm -hmm. is multiple pairs of riding shoes. Oh, that's a good idea. Because you're going to get them wet and yeah. shoes don't dry out fast. So yeah, if you so take, if you're training for a week. Yeah, and if you, you train for a week, take wet. two or three pairs yeah. and, you know, one day you get them wet, set them over a heater vent, you know, wherever you're staying, that's let them, you know, dry over the heater vent, use the other shoes for that day and just swap them back and forth. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I would say too with this race is that I'd, if you can, I, you could, I mean, 67 is pretty darn slack, but you can go slacker. Um I don't know if you want to put an angle set on there or something else like that. Yeah. This is the sort of race too, where you want to run that front end a little higher. 
Um, maybe throw some spacers underneath your stem if you have them on top right now. Um, Shuttle the Revelation to 160. Yeah, yep. Which is pretty easy to do, right? Is it like the pike? Depends. I don't know what Revelation he's got, but. I wonder if it's like the pike because that's pretty easy. It's just a part you buy and swap it out. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty cheap, I think. That should part. be like 40, 50 bucks. Yeah, so yeah. relatively cheap, of course. Yeah. yeah. So compared to getting a new fork. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Uh, bring tires. I would at least bring, if you're going to be practicing up there for a week, I would bring three sets, one yeah. on the bike, two spares. Yep. Um, bring tire plugs, bring like you know, some gnarly boots and all that stuff. Just be ready to spare chain. Yeah. Spare derailleur hanger. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, also bring sunscreen, lots of snow stuff, snow stuff burns. So mm -hmm. it does. Okay, uh, Will's question. He says, I'm looking at getting a new bike this year. It's between the, the Yeti SB 4.5 and the 5.5. I live in Salt Lake area and ride almost exclusively in Utah. I ride everything but bike parks. I'm worried about the 4.5 not being up to the task at times. I know that pros can ride anything on it, but I'm not a pro, just a dentist looking for one bike to handle everything. <laughs> Very good. Excellent, sir. Yes. Uh, he says, I'm probably an intermediate level guy who is more interested in a good time and no broken bones than any Strava PRs. Five stars on iTunes keep up the good work. So one thing I, I want you, so you say that you ride almost exclusively in Utah, you ride everything but bike parks. There are some really gnarly trails that are not bike parks in the Salt Lake region, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, so I don't know if you're talking about riding those, but you mentioned the fact that you're more an intermediate level guy who's interested in a good time rather than, you know, broken bones and Strava PR. So, uh, in that case, I assume that you're not doing the really gnarly stuff. So I feel like the 4.5 is going to be a better bargain across the board. However, the 5.5 behaves really well across the board, and then it just gives you extra insurance. And I know you never got along with the 4.5. Honestly, the 4.5 with me, it rode okay, but I just felt like I, for as much suspension as it had and what yeah. it was billed to be, it was not enough. Yeah. And now the 5.5... Five, five, you rode or you had, you've had two. I've had two. Yeah. Um, the five, five, I feel like is incredibly efficient. It is. And it still gives you the margin of error. Exactly. And that's why I think he should go five, five. Yeah. If he's out for a good time, that means he's not trying, you know, he's, he's basically not trying to, you know, be king of the mountain on climbs. He's not yeah. trying to, he's out there having fun. So give him a fun bike. That's fun and playful all the time in any condition that can do the gnarly trails, the four or five, I would not go near some of the gnarly trails in that area. Yeah. 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 So, which I mean, um, like, in like you mentioned now, like Nate Hills can make it work, right? Well, yeah, but yeah, he Nate could Hills also, is he also, also putting, make, he could also make a big wheel work. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be on a penny farthing in Moab and beat and me. Still, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I really think that the best route for him to take is to just go with a five five and go with a nicer build, get light wheels on it, and just go party on that. The two things I would say if you go for the five five is like you said, focus on weight. Since mm -hmm. you're a dentist, you can probably afford it. Exactly. Um, go for weight. Uh, look at envies. Look at like you know like really light stuff yeah. that's gonna a light snappy wheel that's going to give you that responsive feel. And then also look at tire options like the like on my five five I have the DHF up front and the DHR two in the back, which is basically a sand paddle. Like they took it off a buggy and put it on there. Yeah. Like it's it's a slow tire. The DHR two. I mean it's. It's faster than some tires That's true. in yeah. that same category, but, but it's a slow tire, Yes, but it also, you can stop on a dime and it's fantastic. All that stuff. Yeah. In your case, if you're going to be riding it more like that bike basically is like a lift service bike for me, um, and occasional gnarly days. But, um, in this case, if you're going to be riding it every day, look at putting something on that rolls a little easier. Yeah. 
Um, you know, so I'd say, and, you know, something like a DHF front and a recon rear or, yeah. you know, so there's a lot, even if you did DHR two up front and recon rear. Yeah, sure. So there's a, plenty of different options. Mavic makes their tires. They have some really good fast rolling, good traction tires too. Yeah. So look for to get a fast rolling set of tires. Cause that'll make that bike feel even faster. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, Sean says, Hey guys, I just started listening yesterday and the show is great. You're both super knowledgeable. I have a question regarding chain line. Oh, well, thank you, Sean. Very kind. He says, I have a question regarding chain line in my 2016 stump jumper. I pieced together a GX Eagle group set and had it installed on my bike. The hub is 142 plus. So not quite regular and not quite boost. I purchased a used X01 crank set and a boost X-Sync 2 chain ring. Once I installed this, my chain guide did not align right. And I came to find out that this crank set is the short spindle and my chain ring is now three millimeters further in than my previous crank set and chain ring. Everything seems okay and the shifting is perfect, but will I have premature wear on the components in the long run? Um, overall, no. The only thing that you might have an issue with is the chain. You know, you would have a noisier chain and the chain itself wearing faster. Yeah. If your chain line is is off, you know, too much to one side. Yeah. And um, sure, that could wear on the chain ring and the cassette, but it's not as likely to show as much as the chain will show it. Sooner. Yeah, the chain will just show premature stretch is what it'll do. Yeah. Um, honestly, it, if you're already in this, this situation, you can get a zero millimeter offset um, chain ring yep. to push it back that extra three millimeters out. Because really what he's running up against, if people aren't understanding here, is the... The crank set that he has is not designed for a boost chain line. Mm -hmm. So normally a non-boost chain line uses a six millimeter offset chain ring, meaning that where it mates to the surface of the crank arm yep. on the drive side, yep. the actual chains, you know, where the, the actual teeth of the chain ring are six millimeters inboard of that. So toward the center of the frame. Yes, towards the center of the frame. Mm-hmm. He has a boost chain ring, which is kind of deceiving. Mm. That means it's only three millimeters off. Got it. But because it's basically three millimeters inboard towards the center of the frame. Yes. But since he has a non-boost uh, crank set, yes. the spindle is narrower and everything is now shifted three more millimeters to the inside. So therefore, he's sitting basically where a non-boost chain ring would sit yeah. on his bike. Yes. So now he basically needs to go further back out away, away from the center from the of the, center. the chain. So now he needs to go from a three millimeter to a zero millimeter. Yep, which you can do, and it's a relatively cheap change compared to changing another crank set. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Um, and it, that's something that it, it's crank sets and, and bottom brackets and everything else can be really tricky. They uh, can be because of all it. of the standards. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, always check on that stuff. If you need that sort of advice, I bet the uh, guys at Worldwide so can help. Worldwide would definitely be helpful here. Yep. Uh, so Philip says, greetings from Norway. I'm a male 20 or 12 years old and 165 centimeters tall. That's really tall. That's a lot of centimeters. Do you want to give it a goog to see how tall that is the, in, the, in the inches? In the inches? He Let's says, see. I own a Cannondale Catalyst 3. The suspension is an SR Suntour M3030-27. It's got a coil with preload and 75 millimeters of travel. I'm wondering what preload is. I have Googled a lot and I can't find anything good. And I know you have a good answer. By the way, I love the podcast. Keep the good work. So he's 12 and he's already five foot, five inches tall. He's grown fast, man. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so he says that he has an SR Sun Tour M3030-27 coil with preload and 75 millimeters of travel. So not much travel at all. No. Um, and what he's looking at on this is it has preload, it says. 
So he's wondering what that preload is. So what that is, the coil spring itself is he's basically, as he turns that knob clockwise, Mm -hmm. he is basically putting more and more tension on that spring. So as you put more and more tension on that spring, you are making it for a heavier rider. It's like putting more air into an air fork. Yes, exactly right. So when you dial that in, that's effectively what you're doing is you're pressing that spring down a little more. You're compressing it a little bit more. Yes. So it's just going to make it stiffer. Now you could, in in a lot of cases on cheaper forks, I see preload being the only adjustment. Yes. And you know, the, if you twist that thing all the way in, it becomes most firm, most like a lockout. Yes. Is what you'll see. So this isn't the same as setting sag though, uh, necessarily in the sense that it, if you dial in the preload, it doesn't make the spring shorter and thusly it doesn't make the ride height lower. No, it does not. It doesn't affect ride height like that. No. So um, this isn't like, you know, if you were trying to, because in some cases with some like shocks in the motorsports industry, when you adjust that preload of the coil, you're actually changing the ride height of that. And that's not the case with these bikes. So don't worry. You're not like going to create a stink bug bike. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> running more preload. Yep. Uh, so hopefully that, that helps, uh, Philippe. I hope that's how you would say it. Uh, greetings. Yes. From Norway. Uh, Keith says what happened? Episode 56. Just when you started to get to the good stuff, the episode was cut short. Hopefully the next episode will cover the rest. Uh, just refresh. We had a problem with SoundCloud for some reason it uploaded only like 40 something minutes of the, of that more than hour long yeah. episode. So, so if you, del- if you just delete it out of your library and re-download it, it should be good. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, uh, we fixed it shortly thereafter, but the way podcasts work for people that don't know is once you download it, it doesn't re-download automatically, right? Yeah. Or if you're subscribed and it auto downloads, it's not going to you know repopulate for you if we change it. Yeah. You have to go back in there and change it thereafter. That's just how podcasts work. It's kind of silly. So sorry for that. Got uh, just about one or 10,000 messages on that one. So. Maybe 10,000. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he says, my question, I'm in the market for a new trail bike. At the top of the list is the Spot Mayhem and the Yeti SB 4.5. Can you comment on the Mayhem and how it is, uh, how the ride is compared to the SB 4.5? And how about the SB 4.5 versus the 429 Trail, Ibis Ripley, Santa Cruz Tallboy? He mentions, oh, he's a close, he's local guy, mostly. Yep. He says he lives in California. Auburn, California, rides Truckee, Tahoe, Nevada, Grass, or Nevada City and Grass Valley. <sighs> He says, love your podcast, and I finally left a five-star review on iTunes. Nice. That's very kind of you, sir. And we appreciate that. So uh, first things first, neither you or I have ridden the Spot Mayhem. No, we have not. We talked to the Spot folks. Mm-hmm. We uh, They wanted us to demo a bike. We wanted to demo a bike and when we were at Sedona. However, they just were not there. They just kept not having bikes for us <laughs> to ride. Because they were constantly checked out. Yeah. Um, However, I have spoken to men or a handful of folks that have ridden those bikes that understand bikes very well. And they've given me a ton of feedback and I've grilled them for it. Okay. So it has that carbon leaf spring in, in the, in the link, in uh, the lower pivot. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a pretty clever design and it makes it feel extremely supportive down low and very sprightly kind of light and energetic feeling. Okay. Uh, from what I've heard, it feels very responsive when you put pedal input into it. It doesn't want, it doesn't like uh, nothing soaked up. Right. Gotcha. So a lot of pre- preservation of, of that energy into, or transformation into that forward momentum when you put it into the bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's pretty supportive, pretty lively. It's not exactly a Cadillac. Uh, so this is not a Kona, right? Uh, mm-hmm. this isn't a bike that just chunder buses its way through everything in that respect. Um, however, it's still a totally capable bike. I don't yeah. want people to think that it rides like a short travel XC bike. So it's actually, it's a, it's an awesome option. If you're the type of person that likes to ride, uh, a, a lot of pedaling trails, if you're the type of person that likes to have something gnarly, but you know, pedal your way into them, it's great. Which 
tells me it's almost like a four or five. It's very similar. Yeah. And that's the that's why I picked this one, even though we hadn't ridden that bike. I figured it would be a good idea for us to do this because they're very similar. Uh, yeah. The 4.5 has extremely similar characteristics. It's very capable if you get it into a situation on a typical trail, um, but it rides very supportive and very efficiently. Uh, how it compares to the, this, this is a super crowded segment, like that 131, 40 millimeter travel bike, kind of that spot. Um, 429 trail, Ibis Ripley or Santa Cruz tall boy. I can, so the four five, like I said, feels very solid underfoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like it's, um, it doesn't quite have the snap from what I hear is the spot mayhem. However, what it has is, uh, perhaps a little bit more composure when you're going over things, it stays planted a little bit better from what I hear. Yeah. Now pivot 49 trail. Uh, you have to like a lot of stack height on that bike. I, you know, that was the one chief complaint I had. It was a great bike all the way around, but Mm -hmm. I just felt like that bike, you definitely sat up and back more. And so I felt like it wanted to be more of a trail slash enduro bike, but didn't have the chops. Yeah. Ibis Ripley, I feel like is a healthy middle ground. It is. I I still think you should be on the Ripley LS, not because they say long and slack, but that's not, the LS is not long and slack. That's what the Ripmo's for. Yes. So you need to be on a Ripley LS if you're considering that in this group. I feel like it would be a better fit. Yeah. And I feel like it's the Goldilocks. It's like perfectly in the middle. I think it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then uh, from there, uh, he talks about the Santa Cruz tall boy. Lively ride, poppy and playful. Very much so. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably the best climber out of the bunch. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also feel that it, it lacked a tiny bit in the descent compared to the Ripley LS. And what I've found too, with especially with Santa Cruz bikes, is just they don't stay quite as planted. There's a bit more disruption of momentum when you're climbing over stuff and it's like bumpy and rooty compared to some other bikes. Yeah. In the sense that it'll soak it up, but it kind of gives you some energy coming back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I, they're really fun though. The Tall and, Boys is fun bike. And can I be a jerk and just throw in one more into his mix? Sure. I keep saying this and I've already found, I've already had two or three people buy based on this recommendation, the Trek Fuel EX 9.9. Yeah. Is <clears throat> an absolutely amazing bike. Yeah, that thing's incredible. Trail. Yeah. That bike is awesome. Yeah. All the way around. I don't know if I could say the same for the Remedy uh, when we rode that one, but, and I was surprised because they look so similar. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the Fuel EX was, you love that bike. I love that bike. And I think the through shaft uh, rear shock really makes a big difference. So if you're looking at it, um, the 18s, they did the 9.9, which was all carbon wheels and uh, XX1 Eagle. Yeah. And then they did an X01 version of it to save everybody money. So either one has that through shaft rear shock and phenomenal bike. Cool. Yeah. Next one is from Sven. And Sven. He's, he's from Bama. He's from Alabama. You ah. might not expect it with the name Sven, right? Uh, he says, what is, hey, it? what is it? Roll Tide? Is that what they say? <laughs> that's what they the say. Roll Tide? Roll Tide, yeah. yeah. He says, hey, I all started riding mountain bikes in, tw- in 2016 after losing about 50 pounds of couch potato chips and been listening through all mountain bike podcast episodes and never got bored. I'm what you might call a Clydesdale. 39 years old, six foot seven inches. Holy cow, that's tall. Pretty tall human Two, there, sir. 240 pounds. And after recovery from knee surgery a year and a half ago, my FTP runs at about 240 watts on trainer road with a kicker. Nice. Nice job, man. Uh, so he says, I'm currently training on the sweet spot based low volume two plan. And for those that don't know, trainer road breaks its plans into three sequential phases. You have your base phase, your build phase, and your specialty phase. You start in the base phase and then hopefully you time everything right. So that your specialty phase finishes right when you race your big race, your whatever your race. A race is. Yeah. Yep. The most important race. <clears throat> so, uh, he's in the base phase and he's just finishing the latter part of that base phase. And he says, uh, three times a week. And that's when he trains three times a week. Cause that's a low volume plan. Yep. 
And on the two off days, I do mobility and strength training. Smart man. Weekends are reserved for fun rides and with my wife or longer rides with 10 plus miles in the heat of West Alabama. So that's me, the below average Joe from Alabama with German roots. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> he says, now the mountain bike podcast may be signed up for the 35 mile race at Oz trails in Bentonville coming in October. Thanks for getting me that challenge. Awesome, man. Yes. Uh, that's, that's cool. We were very close to going out to uh, Bentonville for this race, but since we already went there, we figured we wouldn't be getting totally unique content for all of you. Mm -hmm. And we are going to be get, getting very unique content for all of you at, at Whistler. So we decided to, to do that. And we're going to be smuggling maple syrup back. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Because tax and taxing things and tariffs and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Trump. Thanks Trump. Yeah. You jerk. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in this case, um, yeah. Uh, so he's going to be at Bentonville. Our hearts will be in Bentonville with you. That's going to be an awesome time. He says, I may need some advice for you. Should I just follow the training plan on trainer road and finish the base phase, go on with the build phase, then do some sort of the specialty phase until October is not too long. And I probably should raise my FTP a little more. Or should I just stop training a week before the event or taper it somehow down? Um, so he says, maybe this would be a better question for the train road podcast. This is the sort of stuff that we handle on train road podcast all the time, but, uh, yeah, no, it's a great question to answer here. So depending on the time frame that you have, I would say go into the build plan, carry that on because he doesn't have enough time to do build and specialty before this race. Of I course, yeah. think I'm doing the math in my head and I, I don't think he does. Yeah. I could be wrong though, Sven. But in this case, if you don't have the time to finish it all, I would actually move through that build phase. You chances are you probably got more fitness you can build in there. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to stress your body a little bit more. That specialty phase is it's hard work. Don't get me wrong, but the build phase is really focusing on raising your FTP or raising what you, whatever duration you're focusing on maintaining, you know, yeah. uh, that that's that high power. That's what it's focused on raising. Whereas the specialty phase is more like fine tuning the blade that you've already built. Yeah. It's kind of like the sanding, sharpening, polishing phase, right? So, um, I would recommend just doing the build phase, going through with that. And then when you get a week out, I would recommend inserting one of the recovery weeks if it doesn't already work out that way for you. Yeah. Uh, those recovery weeks are not fully off the bike. They're just, you know, in fact, they'll be in some cases, and you could even take like the recovery week from the final specialty week or from a recovery week from that specialty plan that yeah. you might pick, uh, because that way it'll, it'll get you nice and close, but you want to keep intensity high on those, you know, like tapering is a huge thing that I think a lot of people misunderstand. Um, uh, so, uh, there's a term called detraining, which is basically not training and your body is undoing the work that was done to train it. Right. Yep. Uh, and I think that there's a common saying, I don't know if it's Todd Wells that said it or somebody else, but they said that, uh, uh, tapering without a lot of hard work beforehand, significant hard work beforehand is mm -hmm. just detraining, right? Yeah. So you don't need to taper if you aren't really, really, if you haven't found your body's limits and then ridden very close to those limits for the past while I'm talking weeks, right? Yeah. You don't need a taper. And a lot of people, I think, uh, excessively taper coming into events. They think that they need to bring it down. Well, you only, the only point for a taper is because you're dosing your body with so much work that it's actually having a hard time keeping up with that. Mm -hmm. And thusly you need to drop that down a bit. Yeah. Um, but that's not going to be the case for 99% of people. We just are not putting in enough time on the bike. So you can train all the way through these things. Yeah. I trained all the way through before the Segundo and that was actually one of the best, you know, I'll say race, right. but that was the best I felt on a bike in a long time. Yeah. So in your case, if you do feel like it's pushing your limits, then yeah, just, uh, 
keep the intensity high, but do short workouts. Yeah. It's a great way to do it. Yep. So, um, he also says another question concerning tires are currently run Maxis minions. And he says the 2.4 DHR and 2.5 DHF on a 2017 fuel EX seven. Uh, and he says that he's on Derby carbon rims. So 29 millimeter internal width. Um, so he says the minions have a lot of traction and they're nice tires for most stuff I ride and I don't care much for rolling resistance and weight on my weekend rides. But as the Austrails event is more challenging, I wanted to have a set of more efficient tires that carry me and my horse through. Hope you have some recommendations on hand and hope to see you around at the event. Check out the trails in the Southeast. Um, yeah, I, I would absolutely love it. So it'd be a ton of fun. So, uh, anywho, um, yeah, uh, tires for Austrails. Uh, if you're coming from minions, like switching over to the Aspen might be a big, big difference. Yeah. So yeah. you might not be very confident regardless, pick these tires and get some time in on them beforehand. Yeah. Um, if you're a little worried about that and you still want a tire that gives you a little bit more in there, then I would say go for the ardent race. Yeah. Um, it's a good option. It's going to give you some good traction. Don't go for the ardent ardent race. That could be a good one. Recon could be another one if you're looking on the gnarlier side. I'd almost think like Griffin front, Recon rear would yeah, be the combo be I would go to. Yeah. He's a bigger guy, so it'll give him the two, three on both of those. Yep. Um, that's if, how yeah. I would go. Yeah. Now, in terms of what the ideal tire is, I think the Aspen's the ideal tire there. Absolutely. Um, you'll just want, you have to get exo protection. Uh, yes. On this course, there's a lot of sharp little rock everywhere. Yeah. So, and you just come down, especially being a bigger rider, you come down just with like pressure off of a tiny little edge onto something like that. And, you know, since it's all sharp rock, it could slice. So uh, regardless of whatever, so those are all Maxxis tires and Steven and I are partial to Maxxis tires. We love them. Um, but regardless, the point is you need sidewall, per, you need, you need to have casing, a ultra strong casing. Yeah. And then I would recommend something that rolls fast as long as you're comfortable with that, because yeah. these trails roll very quickly and it's not like you need to dig into dirt. So with some gnarly knobs. Okay. This next one is from Larry, the Stanimal. There we go. I like that. Name. That's pretty good. <laughs> for those that don't know, Stanimals are the strange creatures that get left into your tires when you leave your ceiling in for too long and it dries out. Yes. So those are Stanimals. Uh, it's kind of like when you look at clouds and you make animals out of them, you can do the same thing. Very yeah. fun. So, uh, he says, Hey guys, awesome podcast. I've been binge listening since arriving in the U S from South Africa last year. I'm now caught up to episode 55 and he says, funny that all of my tips or all of the tips, uh, were my first purchases. And he says, uh, or all the tips for the first purchase, it's, it's were the ultra pause rugged shoes for his dog. Awesome. Yep. Good to hear. He says, then I bought new tires from worldwide cyclery. Awesome service. Good to hear, man. He says my question that my bike is the Merida 120 XT 2018 edition imported from South Africa. And we have a link on that one. So we've, uh, we've been able to check it out. He says, I need your help choosing a power meter, which is well-priced and which can feed data to my forerunner Garmin from both legs. I had ACL surgery on my left. I want to address power imbalance between right and left leg, which I think I have. So, um, the bike that he has there is, is like a, I guess kind of a, a trail, I guess you could say, uh, is a, a decent way to say it, XC trail bike. Yeah. It's a 29. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right in there. One thirty travel fork. And yeah, you know, somebody maybe can provide some clarification on this. I heard that Specialized owns a stake in Merida. I don't know this. I'm not sure if that's the case, um, but it, it doesn't look like a Specialized. That's for darn sure. No, not at all. Um, it's its own beast. So um, with this bike, the, the interesting thing about, so actually the first thing I'm going to cover is he has an XT crank set. So that makes it easy to find a stages power meter at a decent cost. Yes. 
stages are one side only for mountain bikes. Mm -hmm. I know what he's getting at here and saying that, you know, it's, it's like more, um, that he wants to have left, right balance, but I'm about to poo poo left, right balance. I think that people put way too much stock into this. Uh, so if you're do so if you've gotten knee surgery or if you've had a problem with your knee, you should not be using a power meter to make yourself push on the pedals evenly. That's kind of doing things. It's like making the tail wag the dog. Yeah. In my opinion, what you should be doing is doing the PT and the strength training and everything else to get to the point where you are as close to equally functional as possible. And then you let your imbalance be your imbalance within reason. Like there, most people are, it's very, in fact, everybody is imbalanced. That's how it works. Yeah. You have to try in almost every case to get to 50, 50. So, and, and it's not, it's okay to be slightly off. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, our bodies are asymmetrical. That's how it works. Um, and I think that a lot of the time, if you look down at that data and you see, oh, it's, you know, 46% on one side, you know, and then it's, you know, flipped on, don't make me do math right now on the other side. 54. Uh, so, yeah. 54. So, and it's in, that's like, you think that's bad. So then what you end up doing is you end up pushing on that weak leg a little bit more. Well, you, you, when you're pedaling your bike, you shouldn't be focusing on pressing on one leg more than the other. Mm -hmm. Like you should be training your body so that it does as close to that as possible anyway. Yeah. And then be fine with a small margin. And the point is, if you do end up focusing on pedaling differently like that, chances are you are not going to be as focused on riding, but much more importantly, chances are you aren't going to be as efficient because that's not how your body works. And it's very easy to get into an injury situation that way because you're pressing harder, trying to make up for it all to just to make two numbers match. Yeah. You know, symmetry and, the, and it doesn't matter. And the it's problem within is reason. The problem is your 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 power output per leg is going to be different based on which rock you're rolling over or totally. what the exact grade at that moment versus what gear you're in. There's so many other variables yeah. that even a 10% power, you know, differential from side to side doesn't matter. On a mountain bike, it's not uncommon to see nope. something like that it, because like you said, terrain's variable, it could happen. When you're in a road race situation or a TT situation or sitting on a, like on a compu trainer with their spin scan unit, mm -hmm. that's a good time to focus on, on your balance left to right and, sure. you know, and your pedals, you totally. know, your pedal stroke in general. But once you get on, on the bike, you're going to have to just kind of, you should just go off that perceived effort of feel. It is what it is. It is what it is. Absolutely. Yep. Because yeah. there's too many other variables for you to, you know, to really worry about this. I believe the industry standard is they say something like four or 6% above that. And it's something you'd want to address, but you don't address that with pedaling harder with a weak leg. No, you address that with strength training, mobility, and everything else that you would need to do. Exactly. So I think that the right left thing is a little bit, um, unnecessary I and I think it's it can be a distraction yeah. for a lot of folks. Yeah. So now, um, I know that people are saying, you know, if you have a left side only power meter and then you double that and you have, you know, a, your, your leg stronger on that side or weaker on that side than the other one, then you might not be getting actual power output. But the fact is it doesn't matter as long as it's consistent Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday. Exactly. As long as you're measuring from the same point, which you are, then you're going to have consistent power data. Yeah. And that's what really matters. Yeah. Now you may not be able to compare that perfectly, but don't kid yourself. All power meters are calibrated slightly differently. They all measure slightly differently. Mm -hmm. They all say within, you know, plus or minus one to 2%, but in most cases or many cases, some, you know, you see variants outside of that. So, yeah. uh, as long as it's consistent day to day, that's what really matters and left, right. Not a big deal. No. So, okay. Uh, this one is from John. He says, I should have listened to Steven a long time ago. Uh Oh, <laughs> he says my SRAM level TL breaks suck. Those are the baseline SRAM levels, I believe, right? Yeah. The TLs. Yeah. 
He says, despite sticking Jaguar Pro brake pads on them, a fresh bleed, and refacing the discs, they still make noise. The levers still lock up in the hot sun, and they're just not that powerful. Okay, first of all, yeah. uh, your lever's locking up in the hot sun. You need to get those warranty replaced. Chances that are is, you have a serious problem. Yeah, that's that not is, like a normal problem. That's not normal. No. That is part of the early production series of level TLs, TLMs, mm -hmm. guides, all of that, and you need to get those replaced. Yes. Second of all, um, refacing your discs. Long, I I hate this. <laughs> People talk about refacing discs. Uh -huh. It doesn't work on mountain bike rotors. They're so thin at 1.8 millimeters yeah. that when you scorch and burn the surface, you're burning deep into the actual rotor itself, and there is no way that you, you can't resurface a rotor. No, you it's can't not like do a it. car rotor. No, throw that rotor away. That is the Initially, that is the first thing that I would say get rid of that put new rotors on it. Yeah. And I'm going to have an I'm going to have advice here in a minute. So continue with this question. I think I can corroborate this yes. as well. I can add to this. So yeah. he says, so I've learned my lesson. It's time to ditch them. What brakes should I stick on my Tallboy 3 for general trail riding? Matchmaker compatibility would be a real nice bonus. Okay, so I think a new set of level TL levers is perfect <laughs> because they actually have matchmaker capability. There we are. As a matter of yeah, fact. Yeah. yeah. Um so Get those warranty replaced. Mm -hmm. Any bike shop should be able to handle it um, yep. that has a, a SRAM you know, dealer account, which is pretty much everybody. Yep. Um, they'll get those replaced for free under warranty. Mm -hmm. Then immediately, I would do Motul RBF 660 brake fluid okay. and have them flush the entire system out and do the, the vacuum bleed that I mm -hmm. talk about all the time. But get rid of everything that you have, rotors and pads. Yes. Galfer. We've got some new information for y'all. <laughs> you and I both are running them. You're running them on the SB100. Yeah. I have them on my scalpel. And holy crap. Yeah. Um, a lot I, of bite. I set them up and I just bedded them in. Yeah. And then I went for a brief ride. Yeah. Literally the bite of XT and XTR. Yeah. With far more modulation. Yeah. And... I almost put myself over the bars in the parking lot yeah. immediately. <laughs> They're really good. They are really good. So Galfer's green pads and their wave rotors. You yes. don't need to get their um, the wave floating rotors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially for a trail bike. Right. I wouldn't do that. Um, I would only do that for enduro and downhill bikes. Yeah. So just get their standard rotors, their wave rotors, and their green pads and get that uh, those levers replaced under warranty and you are good. They work super well. Yeah, um, really I haven't done a ton of riding on them with my SB100, only very light stuff with the fam. Yeah. Um, but it is amazing the difference in bite, yes. the initial bite that I have with those, with these pads and these rotors. And they're really quiet too. They're extremely quiet. They yeah. don't howl. They don't do anything like no. that. No. I'm impressed with them. So I used to run their stuff in Moto Days like we talked about on a previous episode. Yep. And yeah, I'm sold. They're so galferusa.com, they've got them for the level. They, they're actually called the Force 20, or I think they call them the Red 22 pads on there yeah. because they don't have all the level stuff in their search yeah. engine, but it's the same, same pad. pad. And then just get your six bolt rotors to match. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's the way it works. Yep. Uh, Andrew says, down country bike or short travel trail bike. I was all set to buy a new Ibis Ripley LS when suddenly this new batch of down country bikes were released. Now I'm rethinking my pick. 80% of my riding is on central North Carolina, flowy, but rooty single track with a few trips to Pisgah a year. So Pisgah is going to be more rocky, more chunky. Yeah. North Carolina is going to be the bumps. But the thing about those bumps that you have to consider is preservation of momentum is extremely important. Yes. Right. Um, so, but if he's doing kind of flowy XC stuff, then he doesn't want to have a bike that's a Cadillac that rolls through those things and keeps momentum, but 
you know, doesn't respond well to pedal input. Yeah. So he says, my, my ideal bike would be efficient enough to complete or to compete in stage and marathon XC races, but that would also be fun for the 80 to 90% of non-race riding that I do something that can jump corner and descend confidently. If my emphasis is on trail riding, should I go with a trail bike like the Ripley or these down country bikes just as fun? Uh, or are they just as fun? The plan is to buy around $4,000 or less base model in October and upgrade it over time. So the SB 100 might be out of the running. Unfortunately it says trail bikes. I'm looking at are the Ibis Ripley Trek fuel X nine, seven and the Santa Cruz tall boy. Um, and he says by down country bikes, I'm considering Santa Cruz tall or Santa Cruz blur intense sniper Yeti SB 100. Maybe any advice would help. I, I don't think you can go wrong either way. Mm -hmm. Um, I like the tall boy. Mm -hmm. I like the Ripley. Um, I like the fuel, obviously. If he's looking at being more competitive in marathon XC races, then he needs to be looking Santa Cruz Blur or SB100, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and and the sniper could fall well within mm. there. Still haven't ridden the sniper. Yeah, um, but yeah, well, uh, you know, within there, the Blur. Um, I've heard fantastic things about that bike. Yeah, um, it's got the numbers to back it up uh, in terms of geometry. It's fantastic. Uh, you guys have heard me talk about the SB100. That thing bends my mind. I don't know how it does all that it does. Yeah. Uh, it's an incredible bike. Um, especially, you know, I found that one thing that was difficult with the ASR and with a lot of single pivot bikes, which you're dealing with, uh, with, you know, that you've got the the blur is like that. Mm -hmm. And then you've also got the intense sniper or similar, I should say, at least. Yeah. Um, everyone has their own take on this stuff, but it, they're similar is that a lot of the time you get with those bikes, they'll soak things up. Sure. Um, but they don't do it at the same level that SB 100 does. Yeah. That thing is able to soak up initial chatter so incredibly well, like, um, it's like at the same level that you get when you have a 170 millimeter fork on like a gnarly enduro bike in terms of that, how those bikes feel like they can be so initially plush, but then they can still take those really big hits. Yeah. That's the same. It's so initially plush as an XC bike, but it still takes the big hits, but it's so insanely efficient. Yeah. So I would recommend those. Um, even, I mean, Look at a scalpel SE. Yeah, that's a good point. The 120 version. Yeah, the 120, 115 version. Because the, the extra 20 mils isn't going to be, it, it doesn't make the bike slow, laggy, anything like that. It's yeah. just going to make it more capable. Yeah. So, yeah, I would I would look at the downcountry side of things. Look at the new Orbea that just got released. The Oise. Yep. The Oise, yeah. Yep, that would be a good one to add on to that list too. <laughs> Andrew, you have a lot of bikes you can pick. You from, really do. But I really do recommend going in that downcountry side of things. They are tons <laughs> of fun. They can handle a ton of stuff, but they're... You know, they're super efficient. Yeah. So, uh, this one is from Carl. Ah, says, good Carl. Yeah, Carl. Yeah. He's the fog in San Francisco. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He yeah. is. Uh, he says, hey, guys, I have a question about technique. I sometimes tend to lean my weight too far to the inside when turning on loose or loose over hard surfaces, causing the bike to lose traction and kind of stall and want to fall over toward the middle or end of the turn. Left turns are worse. I try to get out of that habit, but I keep doing it. Is there an easy and simple way to get out of that mindset and break that habit? He says, I'm currently using Bontrager XR2 Comp 26 2.2 tires on 19 mil internal width wheels and have tried different air pressures, but with little success. Thanks for an epic podcast that helps me focus at work. Greetings from Sweden. Ah, hey, Sweden. There we are. Ah, Carl. Yeah. He is he's we, one of our big fans. We are big in Sweden. Um, uh, first <laughs> off, I would say that the biggest thing that I, and I even have to train myself this on some, you know, some occasions, 
is focus on waiting when you're, if you're going through a left-hand turn, focus on waiting yourself up on your right pedal. Yeah, outside foot. Outside foot in a corner, put as much weight as you can on that. Yeah. That will help immensely. Yes. You should not be leaning your body to the inside. You'll see guys do that, but what they're really doing is they're correcting for a problem that's already happening. Yeah. Um, and if you're not a very good rider and you're correcting with that sort of thing, uh, or you're trying to do that sort of thing, chances are you are, you're putting yourself in a bad spot. Basically what you do when, when, if you're putting your weight to the inside, you're shifting where that weight is, is pressing down or where that weight is oriented in relation to that contact patch of your tires. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to be inside of that, pushing your tires out from underneath you. Instead, you want to be more on top of your bike. Pushing that tire down. Down. So because, it's bike body separation yeah. is what a lot of people talk about. And this really this really comes down to physics one things, yes. which is funny because I, things. Yeah, I think about this and you you look at, at uh, basically what physics forces are working. Mm -hmm. And when you are on the inside, when your weight is on the inside, you are basically relying on lateral friction of the tire on the ground. Which is not good. Which is bad. They you aren't don't designed want for that. that. So that's basically against, you know, on the ground, that's it sliding sideways out from under you. That's yes. the force you're working against. Yes. Whereas if you're on the outside, if your weight is more above that, you're now pushing down on the tire to the ground where the ground is pushing back up on the tire. And that's better traction characteristics than yes. horizontal plane. Now I'm sure that a lot of you are thinking what you lean to the outside <clears throat> of the turn. Like, you know, when you're riding, turning left, you lean, right? It's not like you're leaning right. Instead, what you're doing is you are in a position where in most cases you, you know, it doesn't have to be, but easiest you're, if, let's say you're turning left. So you're, I think Zoolander couldn't turn left. Is that right? I think that was the case. Yeah. Well, we're going to break Zoolander's mind right now. Wait. So, uh, you're turning left, you drop your right foot down. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, and try this in a parking lot so that you have plenty of room and plenty of traction. You drop your right foot down. And then what you do is you lean your bike down while keeping your body basically standing upright. And if you can get used to that separation that you have between your bike and your body like that, mm -hmm. you'll end up getting more comfortable. And then if you end up putting that into practice out on the trail, you'll be like, holy cow, I am on Velcro. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, another big problem that I see with people losing traction though, is that they're too high. It's not that you, um, our natural reaction, if we feel like we're losing traction is we get back because we want to go away from whatever danger is in front of us. Mm -hmm. And the funny and the thing about that below you, but you need yeah. to go towards it. Yeah. But the funny, exactly. The funny thing about it is that we're, we're all we're doing when we go back is we're putting less weight and less traction potential on that front end. Yep. So your, your, our natural reaction is our worst enemy in that mm -hmm. respect. Yeah. So you want to stay low and I can't recommend Lee McCormick's guidance on this more like uh, enough. Like it's so good. Um, it's Lee likes bikes. You can look him up that way, but he has like, uh, you know, you'll walk through drills, you'll see everything else in his book and it's fantastic, but basically you'll find yourself getting much more lower, keeping your chest closer to those bars and separating your bike and body weight on the outside, just like you're skiing and, you know, leaning that body in or leaning that bike in, forgive me, not your body. It'll be, it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. It's funny. We were, uh, up at North star last weekend. And on the way back down to the car at the end, we uh, were going through lift line and yeah. all that. And in the corners, like I went through the first corner and noticed that you kind of pulled away from me in the corner. And I'm like, yeah. wait, why did he do that? And I'm like, yeah. oh, wait a second. I was standing straight up. Yeah. Next corner, I literally just put my chest down, tried to get it as, you know, basically more parallel to the ground. Yep. And, you know, did the whole 
making sure it was a right-hand corner that I caught you, yeah. making sure that my outside foot had a majority of my weight, my you know my upper body was trying to be per, uh, level with the ground, and I caught right back up to you through a corner, and I was yeah. like, oh, okay, that's right. That's I, I just that's wasn't it. paying attention. So like everyone needs to work on it all the time, Carl. So yeah. don't feel like you're alone. Um, it's something that all of us listening to this should make a point that on our next ride, we should go work on proper technique. Absolutely. And uh, check out, like I said, Lee Likes Bikes to get more tips on the proper technique. Yes. So... Uh, Steven, with that, that was a lot of questions. It was. It was 15, right? 17. Well, Holy cow. 18 if you include my question for you. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. It was like half a question. Yeah. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Uh, with that, uh, this has been the Mountain Bike Podcast presented by Worldwide Cycler. You can go to mtbpodcast.com and send us more questions like this. Yes. You can get your bike parts in the store. Yes. Uh, you can come with us to Squamish and Whistler. You can. The 21st to the 23rd would be Squamish. 24th would be Whistler. Uh, we'd love that. You can find us on social things. We could do, do, go do crab apple hits for the boys. Sure. That's you a little do crab scary. Apple? Why not? <laughs> I did it on my Jekyll like in 2015 with a lefty four. Man, I thought those days were behind me. I guess maybe they're not. I don't know. Graham Pitts thought I was an idiot, by the way. I'm pretty comfortable though on jumping. You know, you are, yeah, but yeah, you yeah. want to jump some 40 foot gaps? No. Why not? Nah, man, it's I'm too fun. old for this stuff. Like Danny, Danny Glover, is that his name? Yeah, from Lethal Weapon. Yeah. I'm too old for this. He's always saying that. Yeah. We should stop rambling. We should close this off. That's Thanks okay. everybody for joining us. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.